Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. I'm now going to read from Matthew 21. Uh, It's on page 801 of the Church Bibles, and it'll be on the screen behind me as well. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of that donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is Palm Sunday today. The Sunday before Easter or the Sunday before Jesus gets crucified on the cross on the Friday and these events happened on this day, the equivalent to this day, uh, just before Jesus went to the cross. So it's timely that we spend some time thinking about what happened on this Palm Sunday. How about I pray and then we're going to look at this passage a bit closer. Dear Father God, we just gather together and praise you and worship you and just uh, sit in awe and wonder of who you are. But Lord, thank you that you showed us, you revealed yourself to us. And we do pray and ask that as we look at this passage even deeper this morning, that you will speak to us, reveal yourself to who you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night, a few of us went to the footy, the Broncos game in Suncourt Stadium. Uh, This is not a picture of our game. But you get the idea. If you've never been to Suncorp Stadium before, uh, it doesn't matter if you're a football fan or not. Suncorp Stadium, there's something about it that makes you sit up and grabs your attention. That before the game even starts, you're sitting in your seats and you're watching a few of the activities are going on on, on the grounds. Uh, the loudspeakers going off with music thumping and then the MC guy pumping up the crowds. The lighting is all changing colour and flickering all around you. Fireworks popping off all around you and these big flamethrowers right in front of you just shooting up that you can feel the heat from. Everything's going, the energy, it's all full of energy and your heart starts to pound before the players even come and kick the ball. It's all going off but then when the players are introduced, the crowd roars. I mean we only had I'm going to guess 25, it was only half full last night. But the crowd roaring lifts you and go, wow, something's going on here. Something that you just can't miss. (coughs) Excuse me. I went to the footy last night. (laughs) 
He just can't miss. It grabs your attention, the excitement, the build-up, and then the players run on, the roar. It's like you're there in the middle of it, the thick of it. The atmosphere is incredible. Even if you're not a footy fan, you just get shaken up. You, know, you, you can't miss this moment. And I do wonder sometimes what would happen 2,000 years after Jesus if Jesus walked on the field now? What would happen? What sort of welcome would Jesus get? Surely, if we had the same atmosphere as the footy, get the lights, the fireworks, the music thumping, the crowd, the, the um, guard of honour as the players run out, guard of honour of Jesus walking out, the roar, the cheer, chanting for Jesus as he comes out, like we do the footy players. What would it be like? That everybody would have to sit up and pay attention and go, wow, there's something going on here. There's something I can't miss. I want to know what this is about. And all Brisbane would be aware of Jesus. What would it be like? Well, it's hard to cross centuries, but something did happen 2,000 years ago that we just had read for us. The Matthew, Matthew records this in his gospel and he's pointing to it saying this is a moment that you need to pay attention to. This is a moment that you don't want to miss out on. There's us, different reading words on a page but when we get into it it's like wow all these things are happening. You cannot sit and miss this moment. Let's work through a few things in the passage Josh just read for us. As they approached Jerusalem there's a few big things big moments here the first one is Jesus is heading towards Jerusalem we started this uh, Ben preached on uh, the, the chapter before last week as Jesus was heading to Jerusalem with a crowd but Jerusalem is significant it's just not another town Jerusalem is another name for it they use is the city of David because King David established the city he made it into to something very powerful, built the walls around it. He built his palace. The king's palace is in Jerusalem. It's the centre of, of the, the Jewish nation Israel. That's God's people. Jerusalem is a somewhere. It's a king's city. And Jesus, the king, is now going into his city. What other signs are there that he's a king? Jesus says to him, explains this thing about a donkey. So this th why would Jesus want a donkey? It's a, that's what kings ride in peacetime. So a king going to army, because we've got to go, wouldn't a horse be more impressive than a donkey? Well, yeah, if he's going into battle, thanks. If he's going into battle on the battlefield, kings ride horses. But kings in peacetime, as a symbol, ride donkeys. And Jesus says, get me a donkey, get me a colt, even a young a baby donkey, that's what I'm going to ride on because I'm the king riding into the king's city and I'm going to be riding, it's peacetime, so I'm going to be riding the colt, a baby donkey. But then Matthew, doesn't, Matthew wants to make sure we don't miss the moment that he points out, and it sounds like the, the disciples realised this later, this took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. He quotes Isaiah um, and Zechariah and Zechariah, yes, Isaiah 62, Isaiah chapter 9, these two things where he says the prophets spoke hundreds of years before Jesus, see, uh, see to, say to daughter Zion, that's another way of saying Jerusalem, Jerusalem's got a lot of nicknames, 
See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This was spoken about by the prophets hundreds of years earlier. Prophets are guys that brings God's word to the people. And God's saying, this is what to look out for. You will know when my king comes. You will see him. He'll be riding into Jerusalem. He will be your king and he'll be riding the colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, this is three big spotlights. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to be riding, a, like traveling like a king on a colt. And the prophets are saying, this is the one you should look out for. Now, is it a moment in time or is it something bigger than that? This is actually something bigger because these prophets were speaking in a time when Israel had lost hope. Israel, had, as a nation, they've been on this long journey. They've gone through stages where God has been with them, God has blessed them, he's brought them into the promised land, he, brought, he gave them good leadership under people like King David who established Jerusalem. God established himself in the people by the, establishing the temple. So the temple is not just another building in the city, that's where God lived with his people, he dwelt with them. Not physically, that's God's house, but that's where um, he what they say his manifestation was. If you went to the temple, you would meet God at the temple. This was the centre of everything. God was with them. But as Israel went on, they kind of took God for granted. Yes, God's nice to have around, but they're looking at all the other nations and listening to the other nations and just thinking, well, we want what they've got. They've got not just one God, they've got lots of gods. They don't trust on their gods for safety and peace. They've got massive armies. We want massive armies. So they're taking on all the values of the other nations, diminishing God's authority, diminishing God's kingship, his rule. So God said to them, basically, you want to take this for yourself? You want to look after yourselves? Fine. I'm out of here. So God leaves them. And what happens to Israel? The other nations come in. Without God, they didn't have peace. Assyria comes in, Babylon comes in. They all come in, beat up Israel, take them off to slavery, plunder them, and they've got nothing. They've lost everything. They're barely a people. And this is where God sends them prophets, basically saying, you guys, if you repent, basically, if you turn around and come back to me, this is what I... I will send you a king. I will send you your king from God to bring you peace. And this is what to look out for. This king will come to restore you, to give you peace again. So these words were very spoken to a particular time where people needed rescuing. They needed saving. But then it was just a question of when. When will this happen? When will God's king come? How will he come? How will we know? What will we look for? The prophets are saying this, but it's been generation after generation year after year, hundreds of years after hundreds of years, what, when will this happen? What Matthew is saying, it's happening. He's got the spotlights on. Look, he's king. He's coming to his, the king's city in Jerusalem. He's riding a, a colt. And he's the one the prophet spoke about. Jesus is the one we've all been waiting for. So then, how will the people respond? You know, sitting in Suncorp Stadium as the players run out, you can't miss it. The the players, the people are just cheering. But Matthew shows us. The disciples went and got the, the donkey, as Jesus asked them to. 
And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest of heaven. They're all singing to him. They're shouting. They're, there's a big hoo-ha. The crowd's really getting into it. Now, Matthew shows us, if, if you look at the previous chapters, lots of, crowd, lots of people have been following Jesus on this journey. And they've heard Jesus uh, teach. They've seen him heal people. We saw that last week. So they're like, there's something about this guy and this confirms it. In John's Gospel, he also says a lot of people in the crowd were with Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead. So they've seen there's something special about this Jesus. He's not just another teacher. There's something about him. He is from God. So they're crying out to him these, these words, this chant, Hosanna, they're saying. Now, it's interesting. For a long time, I thought Hosanna was just another name for Jesus, but it actually means something. Hosanna is from an old Hebrew term, like a phrase. It means, save us. And when it's cried out to somebody, someone like this uh, as, a, as a sign of rejoicing, it's, it's interpreted a way of, please, you can save us. Because it's specific, it's not just a general cry, please help me. You don't just, whenever you're struggling, just yell out, Hosanna. But no, no, it's please, you can save me. You can save us. So they're going, Hosanna, you can save us to the son of David. Son of David is another name for king, because King David was the king. And in his line, you can save us. You're the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They know he comes from God. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is God's king who has come. Please save us. Please, you can save us. And they're shouting this as they're marching down the road. This is like the, uh, the entourage going ahead of Jesus and around Jesus as they're pulling out their coats. Oh, sorry, that's what it means. Please, you're the one who can save us is Hosanna. And they're also throwing out their coats on the road and their, um, the palm branches. And that's treating him like a king. Because when somebody important used to come along the roads, because they were dirt roads, often with animals and stuff, the dirt, it's a dirty road, literally dirty road. And you don't want that somebody special, that king, to be walking on the road. So put him on a horse, a donkey, or, um, or the colt. Uh, march him down. But even this cult is so special because it's a king's cult. We don't want him to be in contact with the dirty road. So they put down even their own coats. You know, what would it take for you to take off your shirt and lay it down before someone? They would have to be great. So what they're saying is, you are great. Grabbing branches, putting it down. You are the king. It's just more of this picture that Matthew wants us to see. Another spotlight. This is the moment you can't miss. In fact, you can't miss it because all the attention is getting. There's a big crowd. There's lots of noise. There's chanting and singing to Jesus, to the son of David. It's causing such a hoo-ha as he goes into Jerusalem. He hasn't got to Jerusalem yet. As he goes to Jerusalem, what, what sort of re response is he going to find? Because the people in Jerusalem... They hear the stuff that's going on. They can hear there's something coming up the road. Jerusalem is on a hill 
and they can hear, and maybe if they look out their windows, they can see this crowd coming up, and it's, they're treating this person. They can see this person looks like a king. What is going on? So when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The whole city is sitting up now. They're paying attention. At this time, too, it's the Passover meal where uh, it's a religious pilgrimage where all the Jews at that time, once a year at this Passover, would go to Jerusalem. So the, the historians say the city would swell five times the amount of people. Uh, one historian uh, who wrote at the time, Josephus, said there are up to two million people in the city at that time. So they're all sitting up. Something's going on here. We can hear the music. We can hear the singing. We can see the parade. Who is this? And what does the crowd answer? This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Interesting choice of words, how they describe him at this point as a prophet. The easiest way to remember what prophets are, because there's two key people in the uh, in Jerusalem, in the temples, there's prophets and there's priests. Prophets are the ones that bring God's word to the people. Priests are the ones that bring the people to God. So you often see when the prophets are writing, they'll say, this is what the Lord says. Because they're speaking, they're God's mouthpiece to the people. But priests, on the other hand, they pray for the people. They're the ones that make sacrifices the people to present, to present us... Um, worthy of God bring us bring the people to God that's what priests do but Jesus is a prophet he's the one that speaks God's word he's God's mouthpiece so what they're saying in this moment this is the king we're marching him into Jerusalem into the um, Suncorp this is Jesus Suncorp stadium moment you might say there's a big hoo-ha there's lots of noise singing chanting he's riding a cult but you need to listen to him you need to listen because he's a prophet, he speaks the word of God. You need to pay attention to him. Pay attention to him carefully. So this has been a big build-up for Jesus. Being treated like a king, he's riding into Jerusalem. People are saying, Hosanna, we need saving. Please, you can save us. And there's a big crowd and everybody's eyes are on Jesus in this moment. Can you imagine the pressure? It is a bit like running, into the, running onto the centre stage with everybody watching you. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? When people are saying, please save us, what are you, how are you going to show that you're going to save them? Everybody's watching and waiting on this moment. What does Jesus do? Verse 12, it says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables, the money changers, and the benches of those selling doves. What does Jesus do? He goes straight to the problem. The problem for Jerusalem, the city of David, God's city. The problem with the temple, God's temple, where he's meant to dwell with the people and people are meant to draw near to him, has turned into a marketplace, turned into anything but meeting with God. So what's Jesus going to do? I'm going to deal with your biggest problem, Jerusalem. It's how you're dealing with the temple. So he goes in and turns tables and just causes a ruckus, upsets many, many people. Because the, the religious leaders in the temple had 
God's good, you know, it's good to have God around. Uh, we can live in the temple, hang out in the temple. We're not offended by God, but we don't want to take him too seriously. It's more about us, really. The religious leaders had a problem with Jesus, had a problem with uh, scriptures, really, because they wanted the temple to be about them. They didn't want to see God in the highest position. They didn't want to have God to have the highest authority. They wanted the highest authority themselves. They wanted the prominence, the wealth that went with it, the respect from all the people. It was all about the religious leaders. So what's Jesus going to do? He goes to the religious leaders. He says, you've got a problem you need to fix. And he turns their tables. So if Jesus is going to save his people... He's got to start at Jerusalem. That's the heart of the nation. He's got to start at the heart of their relationship with God. And for them, that happens at the temple. And he goes there at the most significant time on their calendar. It's Passover. Everybody's there and watching when Jesus deals with their biggest problem. But Jesus looks at them, at the religious leaders. He says, it is written... He said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. He says, this is not about God anymore. It's about you guys. That's a problem. We need to have God as our supreme authority. We need to sit under his rulership, but you've made it all about you. So Jesus is serving it up. He's dealing with the biggest problem that they they have. But then Jesus shows, in this one moment, he's there in the temple on this same day, and what else is, everybody's watching, but yet Jesus still shows that he's there to save us. The very next verse, verse 14, the blind and the lame come to him at the temple, and he healed them. Jesus is not just an angry man. He's there with peace and compassion that's going to heal the beggars, heal those who can't help themselves, help those, save those who need saving. He's there for them. So you get this contrast of some people really angry with Jesus, like you're mucking up my thing, but then some people saying, Hosanna, save me, Jesus. This very next verse, all this erupts in this very next verse when these two crowds come together. Verse 15. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, And the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. It's the religious leaders. They're angry at Jesus. Who are you to come in and tell us to give up our stuff? Who are you to come in and tell us what to do? But yet the other group are saying, Hosanna, save us. We know you can save us because he is there before him in his healing. I actually think Matthew's saying... The children are shouting this just to show even the children can see who Jesus is. But the religious leaders just don't get it. They don't want to give up their stuff. They don't want to make Jesus their king. They don't want to make Jesus their Messiah. They don't want to put Jesus on the throne. But everybody else can see it. We need a saviour. We need a king like Jesus. So why do some rejoice and want to make Jesus their king and treat him like a king, while others want him gone. They want him dead. It's in five days. Remember, these religious leaders, same religious leaders, will have Jesus pinned up on a cross and killed. They think they're getting rid of him. 
This is the big climax of this, the big game, if you want to say, the Suncorp Stadium moment. Jesus enters the stadium and the game starts. He deals with their biggest problem, but they're not going to submit to him. They're not going to call him king or lord. Why? What goes on in their hearts and our hearts, people today? Why do some people see him as king and lord, but others just want him gone? See, I suspect for us sitting here today, and we've been singing songs about Jesus and his kingship, his lordship, and uh, he deserves the highest honour, that he is our saviour. I think we're okay with... We're probably not the ones that want to have the pins nailed through his hands on the cross. But some of us might. I don't want any part of this Jesus. Actually, I wish he was gone. We might do that. But there's lots of other people that are somewhere in the middle that they're happy to have Jesus around. They're happy to have religion, almost like the Jewish leaders, uh, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. We're happy to have the temple. We're happy to have the church stuff, the religious stuff. Happy to have that. But don't make me too Jesus-y. Don't, don't make me take him too serious. Because there's lots of people that Jesus met had that kind of attitude. Happy with Jesus not sure about calling him Lord or King or putting him on the throne, which makes him ruler over me, that he has authority over me. It was only a couple of chapters before this that Matthew writes. He tells us about a person that is just in that situation. It's in Matthew chapter 19, and he's a young man. Just then, uh, so picking up from verse 16, just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to have eternal life, to get eternal life? It's like, I know Jesus is there. I've been watching him, hearing him. He must respect him, calls him teacher. I want to listen to you, he says. He has all that, but I want to know your answer. I want to know what, what have you got for me? Now, the conversation goes on. It's a long, longer passage. We've got the whole conversation recorded for us. But Jesus comes to a point where he says in verse 21... If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. So if you want Jesus' opinion, here it is. But how does the young man respond when the young man heard this? He went away sad because he had great wealth. It's almost this tension I know Jesus is someone special, happy to have him around, even call him teacher. But who are you to tell me what to do with my stuff or my money? This is my domain. Don't go near that. Where actually, if we do call Jesus king, if we do call him Lord, he is king and Lord over all of us. All our stuff. All our it doesn't matter whether you're a kid with pocket money or an older person with, with a regular job. We've all got responsibility of stuff. Is it our stuff or is it God's stuff? If Jesus is our Lord, if Jesus is our King, it's Jesus' stuff. Is that sitting under his authority or is it just my stuff? Jesus, you can tell me what to Don't touch my stuff. That's what the religious leaders were doing. Oh, yeah, we like the God thing. We're happy to play the religious, do the religious games, but don't tell us how to do our thing. It's the difference, isn't it, between having Jesus there and having Jesus as King and Lord. Having him King and Lord means I need to listen to him. 
I need to submit to him in what he says. This is a very timely lesson for us today in our culture because we live in a world a little bit like Israel where we've got these competing voices. We have God's word in scripture. We have Jesus speaking to us through his spirit saying, this is who I am. You need to listen to me. You need to submit to me because I'm leading you. I'm saving you to true life. But we live in a world with a very loud voice who speaks to us and goes, don't touch our stuff, don't touch our values, don't touch our ideas on sexuality, don't touch our ideas on wealth and prosperity, don't touch those things. You can have your religion, but don't touch these things. And we're living in these worlds and it's very tempting for us to go, yeah, I want the Jesus thing, but I also want to balance that out with the opinions of culture that I have over here. And what ends up is we are just like the, the rich boy, the rich man. Where he, he just can't hand it over. He can't call Jesus Lord or King because he can't submit to him. I think that's where we live today, in that spot. We like Jesus. I'm not sure about giving him everything. This is the challenge Matthew wants to challenge us on as he writes this. It's Palm Sunday. Recognise the king. All the spotlights are on him. The fireworks are going. The crowd is fired up. This is God's king that they've been waiting for. The Old Testament prophets were pointing to him. Do you see him? Do you treat him as king? Not just sitting here, but he, does he have authority over all of your life as king? Do you live for him where you find true life? Because in another five days, we're going to meet together here on Good Friday and we're going to look at what the king does for us to, to fix our biggest problem. When he goes to the cross, when he dies for us. That's what a king does. Gives up his life to give life to others. That's what we're going to celebrate. So let me encourage you, have a close look at Jesus and you will see that he is King and Lord, we do need to submit to him, but we will find life in him as well. Let me pray. Dear Father God, we just thank you for this lesson, this picture, this window into life 2,000 years ago, but it's the Suncorp Stadium moment that says, wow, something is going on here that we need to pay attention to. Lord, we thank you for sending your son Jesus, someone who we know can save us, Someone we can cry out Hosanna to. Please, Lord, you can save us. And you are faithful, you are powerful, you have all authority to do that. Lord, help us to have hearts that rejoice in that, but submit to you as our King and Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.